My Seven Chakras, episode 161. Be the change that you wish to see in the world. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up action takers, AJ here and you are back to the show for those who are thirsty for spiritual knowledge, for those who believe that science and spirit go hand in hand and for those who not only want to learn about ancient practices but also want to take action. Now this is the show where we not only talk about the practice itself but also learn how people used those practices to overcome major obstacles to find their life's true calling. So if this is the first time that you're tuning into our show, make sure you stay till the very end because every portion of our show is unique with loads of takeaways that you can put into action right away. Action Tribe, we have a super episode in store for you today but before that, in case you haven't already. Make sure that you press the subscribe button on your mobile device so that as soon as we release a new episode, you will get updated. Once you hit subscribe every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, a new episode will automatically get downloaded onto your device, providing you just the information, just the message or just the inspiration that you might need to transform your life. So in case you're already subscribed, make sure you like our Facebook page, My 7 Chakras, and you can also follow us on Instagram. And with that, I'm really pleased to bring you our featured guest for today, Sarika Serna House. So Sarika, are you ready to inspire? I am. Thank you, AJ. Awesome. So Sarika Serna House is a licensed acupuncturist in Arizona and California, having attained her Master's of Science degree in traditional oriental medicine from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in 2001. Her formal education encompassed not only acupuncture, but Chinese herbal medicine, the unique and involved theoretical construct of Asian medicine, Western biomedicine, and both Western and Eastern perspectives on nutrition. It was during these experiences that she began to grasp a much deeper appreciation for the traditional ways of studying and implementing whole food nutrition. So, Sarika, welcome to our show. Before we move on, uh, please take a few seconds and tell us more about your story. Oh, thank you, AJ. Yes, I am so pleased to be here. So thank you for having me. And it's been quite a journey uh, working in natural medicine the way that I do. It has been something that has always been, I think, intimately tied to uh, my spiritual path as well. And I feel like the experiences that I have had professionally because of my training around Asian medicine, that has helped me to see the world with different eyes than I had before I began that study back in the 1990s. And so um, it's something that I never take for granted. I'm always happy to share with other people and I feel it's a total gift. And so I let that infuse how I help people take care of themselves through nutritional guidance and also, of course, with the patients that I work with uh, one-on-one in my practice of Japanese-style acupuncture. So thanks a lot for sharing your background. And Action Tribe today is going to be an amazing episode. In case you 
don't know. We've had a lot of technical challenges for this particular episode, but <laughs> as we always learn, no matter what challenges we face, we are always going to take action and overcome them. So, Sarika, right. let's begin today's show with some inspirational wisdom. What is your favorite inspirational quote? And also tell us how does this quote play out in your life? Oh, thank you. The uh, quote that I love is one that when I knew what the quote was, and so I went searching for it as to who was the person who gave us this quote originally. And it's attributed to Gandhi, but in fact, it's not really what Gandhi said. However, it's still the quote that I love. <laughs> and mm. what it is, is it's the quote that says, be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I feel that today, more than ever, that is such an important platform for each of us to take. And I say platform because most notably, many of us have a broader platform now because of social media and the impact that we're able to share with many other people because of that. And so I think it's it's all the more important now because of this platform that, that many of us have that we represent that change that we do wish to see in the world. And I hope that I portray myself that way and people see that um, that I'm, you know, walking the talk. So Action Tribe, small steps. My question to you is, what is that one change that you want to see in the world? And what is that one action that you can take right away, maybe after this episode, to enable that change? It doesn't have to be a massive change because whenever we think about or talk about massive changes, you feel that level of angst and that level of overwhelm. So no matter how small that change is, make sure you take that action today. And with that, Sarika, let's dive in. Uh, Mm -hmm. What inspired you to write your book, Fresh Fun and Flavorful in the Funky Kitchen? Well, The Funky Kitchen was a book that came to me as I was really struggling with health issues in our family and with myself. And I was pretty chagrined about this because I had been for many years a practitioner of natural medicine and our family ate organically. And we were doing all the quote unquote right things around nutrition and wellness and and we were still having struggle. And It was something that became the change that I wanted to see in our family was how can I how can I change what's going on so that we're having a better outcome than what we currently have. And so again, we were eating organically. You know, we weren't drinking soda, we weren't eating candy, and yet my son was having challenges and as mentioned I was, my husband was. And so that's when I realized that that sometimes doing what everyone else is doing that's supposed to be, you know, quote unquote the right thing is sometimes still not enough. And that's where I backed up a little bit further and I looked at going deeper more than just sourcing very good ingredients, but also looking at how those ingredients are prepared. And as I began my research around this, I could see that one of the huge missing components in the modern nutritional profile is actually how foods are prepared, how we get them into a state that they are more bioavailable for our body so that we can put that into use in our system. And because we are bombarded with so many different stresses, from mental, emotional stress, the dinging of our phone, 
the dinging of our computer, always being on the go, having a supercharged, caffeinated society, and really having the language around that be that that's how you're supposed to behave. There are a lot of ways that we are really burning the candle at both ends and everywhere in between. And so because of that, these techniques that I began to study around uh, traditional food preparation, it became very clear to me that they were all the more important than ever before because we were so compromised at an energetic source level. And so what I embraced was a practice of preparing food in a way that made it ready for us to put to use. We didn't have to work so hard to take the nutrition that was there and put it to use in our body. Mm -hmm. And so I found that to be a tremendous foundation to the healing that ended up happening for our family. And so, of course, I had to share that. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So I love the context that you've set for our show today. You were struggling with health issues in your family, uh, which I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going through as well. But the interesting part that I found that your family was already eating good organic food, weren't having soda, but yet you found that something was missing. And you had that realization that doing what everyone else is doing, doing what the community is doing. Sometimes it's just not enough. You need to go deeper. And you realized that it's not just about what you're using, not just about the organic food, but how you are preparing your food. So diving a bit deeper, what would you describe as a traditionally cooked food? What are some of the unique elements of these types of food? Well, one of the really fantastic aspects is leaning on certain techniques such as fermentation and culturing. And so um, something that's become very popular is um, people are drinking a lot of kombucha. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's a probiotic-rich beverage. Of course, there's also uh, yogurt and raw sauerkraut. These are foods that are created through natural fermentation processes. And so fermentation and culturing, these are two techniques that take kind of macronutrients. They take carbohydrates and they take they take uh, fatty acids and they take protein structures and they actually break them down into smaller components through these bacterial processes. And so fermentation and culturing is, is definitely one of these techniques. And something that I like to pair that with when I'm preparing natural and seeds or if I'm preparing grains or beans is also, um, of course, the soaking that needs to happen. Anytime we're fermenting something, there's going to be a period of time where something is going through a transition process. And so when we're talking about nuts and seeds or grains and beans, of course, there's going to be a liquid media that is going to be a portion of that composition. And so soaking is part of the fermentation process of these different types of foods that actually takes something that can be difficult for people to digest, again, if they're compromised at the level of the gut, as so many people are. And it allows for this breakdown of these larger macronutrients into smaller and easier-to-use components. And so those are, those are two very, very foundational techniques that, thankfully, they don't take a lot of our physical time. We just need to set aside the time for that aspect of the preparation and but we just walk away while that part is happening we get on with the rest of our life and then we come back and we finish with the rest of the cooking cycle after 
if we do do any more cooking. I mean, in the case of, uh, you know, like a raw sauerkraut or um, a yogurt or a milk kefir, in these instances, um, we would be done with uh, the preparation of that food at that point. However, sometimes with soaking and fermenting, you know, grains and beans, then we move into the next phase of actually cooking those foods. Got it. Mm-hmm. So, Thanks a lot for that. You spoke about two things, fermentation and culturing. Mm-hmm. You spoke about kombucha and sauerkraut. And by doing this, by doing this preparation, what people are really getting is a benefit of nutrients and protein, but in a way that the body can digest. The soaking really allows for better digestion. And once that's done, then you can go about your uh, cooking. Now, I'm trying to get a better idea of the challenge at hand uh, now. Uh, in your experience, what's wrong with the way people are making food currently? Yeah. Well, one of the big issues is nobody's making food. I mean, if we're honest about it, most people are not preparing food. And that's not just my opinion. We can look at the research around that. And it is incredible how people are not preparing foods. And so, and and I include in that, you know, the types of foods that we bring into our home where we open a bag or a box or a can. Sure. And and we say, oh, we've cooked it at home. Well, no, we've not. We just opened the container. (laughs) And so there is a real marked difference between preparing foods from scratch so even you know i'll be honest with you aj i mean going to the level of traditional food preparation for many people it's just a big deal to have them start with preparing some foods from scratch you know getting you know dried rice and making that completely from scratch getting dried beans and doing the same so i consider traditional food preparation an integral component of healthy nutrition but a lot of people it's just a big deal to teach them how to actually make something really from scratch even in the kind of modern way and so i think we have to back it up to the issue at hand there now not surprisingly in our family what we were dealing with is of course we were dealing with organic foods we were even eating a gluten-free diet and um, again, so here it is, we should be having all these incredible, you know, health returns for our efforts. However, um, we continued to have health issues. And so although we were eating these organic foods, many of them were packaged organic foods. And so anytime something is packaged and we're buying it off of the standard grocery shelf, you can pretty much be sure that some of these traditional food preparation techniques have absolutely not been a part of what went into the production of that commercial food. Now, that being said, in the natural food setting, this has increasingly become more popular. So now you can go online or you can go to the natural food store and you can find, um, say, for instance, organic raw nuts or seeds that have been soaked and sprouted and then dehydrated at a low heat. I teach Mm -hmm. people how to do that in my book, but now, you know, there are small companies that recognize that there is a need for this in the market and they're answering it. Um, I've seen the same thing happen with, you know, sprouted grains, with sprouted beans, with uh, breads and other grain-based products that are created with soured and sprouted ingredients. And so it's neat because I'm really happy that 
these products are available, you know, increasingly so. But I think that there's a lot of value in learning to do it yourself, not just in the empowerment and the level of creativity that comes from that, but also because it takes so much less of the financial weight off. Um, When you're buying these types of products like I'm talking about that have been prepared in these traditional ways, you're paying top dollar for them. And Mm. so, you know, we have to honor that as well. We don't want to be going into the red as we're trying to eat well. Mm -hmm. So just a few steps back, uh, you said Mm -hmm. that your family was eating organic, gluten-free as well, but Mm -hmm. your family was still facing some challenges. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the challenges that your family was facing? Right. Well, for me, I was really struggling with a lot of issues with my menstrual cycle. And um, I had had two children. And um, so that I I was really surprised by that. Because again, I was doing so many right things and taking herbs and everything. And I was really struggling still with my menstrual cycle. So that was a major issue for me. I was also losing a lot of weight. I didn't look terribly healthy. And so that's kind of what my situation look like. The thing that really moved the dial, though, is most parents will attest to how that can happen is what I saw happening in my son's health. And when he was a little toddler, he always had uh, kind of dark rings under his eyes. He always had a runny nose. He was fussy. And again, no matter what I did, we couldn't seem to shake that. And so I found that one of my husband's close relatives um, tested positive for celiac disease. And so that is when I said, well, we'll just pull all the gluten from our diet and that ought to, you know, make some good inroads here. And It did. I mean, I don't want to discount that completely. You know, the runny nose and the dark rings, that did go away. So we ate a gluten-free commercial diet, you know, mostly organic, for about a year and a half or so. And I took my son in. He was probably five or so. I took him in for a dental appointment. And we get to the dentist, and the dentist comes out after a few minutes and says, you know, your son has so many cavities that we're actually going to have to extract two of his teeth. And thankfully, they were his primary teeth. And I was taken aback. Again, not the candy family. You know, I mean, really, we were doing so many right things. And here it is, my son's teeth were rotting out of his head because, as I saw it, And in the days that, you know, followed after that, as I began my research, what was happening is my son, in his growing body, he was needing to allocate very basic resources. So his body was saying, okay, look, I'm short on protein here. I'm short on minerals. And so we need those, those types of nutrients for more important things, like keeping the brain and the heart functioning well. But the teeth and the bones, those can take a, a distant back seat. And so from the inside out, he was not mineralized well enough. And so that's when I said, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> we have got an issue here. Why is this happening? Yeah. And so for me, the answer wasn't, okay, you know, fill him and drill him, although he did end up having those teeth taken out. But for me, it was the real big wake-up call of, okay, we have got to change up what we're doing with our diet. This isn't, this isn't working out. Mm-hmm. That is really a compelling reason to make that transition, to make that shift. But as we speak, I can hear a listener going, uh, this is amazing, but how much time does it take to prepare these foods, I really don't have that much time during the day. Right. And you know what? The thing is, is my husband and I, gosh, we're both self-employed and we are so busy. And what it comes down to is I talk about people taking care of the future you. 
So I would be taking care of the future Sarika by doing very simple steps. Sure. You know what I mean? And so one thing that I talk about in my book and in the class I teach is that I do not ever want someone to step into all the techniques at once and try and master them all. That is a sure path to madness and frustration, and I'm not here to bring that to anyone's life. And so (laughs) what I would suggest is looking at one technique that you can work with. And so I'll tell you, AJ, in our family, what that was, was starting with yogurt and making yogurt from scratch. And and it was strange to me because I was, what you do when you make yogurt is uh, you take milk, you add a little bit of a culture starter, that's where the beneficial bacteria are, and then you set it at the right temperature. So when you're using what's called a thermophilic culture, you're going to take the milk and a little bit of culture starter, and you're actually going to put it into a warm container. Well, in the West, we have been raised that milk always goes immediately into the refrigerator, and there it stays until you need it, and then you put it back. So to take milk and put it into a warm setting and leave it there overnight and then come out in the morning and feed that to your children, that was a huge leap of faith for me because there was no one in my family who had ever done anything like that. But I was just going on faith. I knew that People were doing this, you know, around the world. Especially in India. <laughs> and they had in India, exactly, you know, throughout Europe. And, you know, I just thought, well, folks are doing it there. This is going to work out. I'm going to follow the instructions and it'll be okay. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. It was awesome. And I know I'm thinking this as I'm saying this to you in India. Oh my gosh, you know, you just think you're crazy Americans. But it's different, you know. I mean, in America, we just, we buy everything off the shelf. We don't tend to go and make these things on our own. So that was where I started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, I know that you share many exciting recipes in your book, but out of all of them, out of all the recipes that you share, what is your favorite and easiest dish to prepare for dinner? Well, now, this is the thing, AJ. We are going to maybe have some vegetarians on this presentation. <laughs> want to offend mm-hmm. anyone that's fine you know a, because that's again not what i'm here to do however i do think that for the the fatigue that people's bodies are feeling on balance i think that the simplest and most profoundly nutritious item that's in the funky kitchen um, is the preparation of broth and my favorite broth is just making a chicken broth using an organic chicken broth uh, or chicken I should say and you use the entire animal Uh, you just put it all in there and what you're getting then is you're getting the fatty acids uh, the amino acids the building blocks of new cell formation everything that you would need is going to be in that very nutritious broth and so to me that's an excellent one however for folks that are vegetarian to me I feel that these techniques are quite honestly all the more important because if a person is eating, um, you know, a plant-based diet, and they're eating, you know, a fair amount of grain, they're eating a fair amount of beans, legumes, the proper preparation, so that they are getting different components that are called anti-nutrients out of the way, so that they are getting the most nutrition is vitally important, because one of the big things that I learned when I went to go study traditional Chinese medicine, when I showed up at the doorstep of that school back in, gosh, I don't know, 96 or something, I was a vegetarian and a pretty lame excuse for a vegetarian. I really was not doing it well, and I'd been not doing it well for many years. Um, But I was doing it for ethical reasons. And I 
figured that I was going to show up to the School of Natural Medicine and I was going to find my people who would Mm -hmm. sing the praises of my lifestyle. And very quickly, it became clear to me that that wasn't at all what was happening. (laughs) And it was a big turnaround for me. I had been a vegetarian for 14 years. And I also, and this was in my late 20s, I was already beginning to feel like my body was struggling, like very significantly. And so what I learned was that when you eat animal proteins um, and animal flesh and animal fats, you are eating at the very top of the food chain. And that's very difficult to replicate in the plant kingdom. Now, I'm, saying it, I'm not saying that it can't be done, but in terms of amino acid availability and other components, building blocks of nutrition, when you are eating high-quality animal foods, you are truly eating at the top of the food chain. And so it allows for a little bit more play in terms of not being so concerned about mineral intake and protein intake as a person who is vegetarian and most notably someone who's vegan needs to be aware of. People who eat uh, vegan and vegetarian diets need to be extra, extra sure that they are preparing their foods right and that they are getting a broad spectrum of nutrition. So um, even though I mentioned bone broth as, you know, this easy, wonderful thing, uh, the soaking and fermentation techniques around the nuts and seeds and the grains and legumes in the book is, is so vitally important for someone who is vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Now, Sarika, speaking about all this food is making me hungry. <laughs> uh, and as you mentioned, you have a background in traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Do those practices influence your style of uh, traditional food preparation? You know, it does because one of the beautiful things around traditional Chinese medicine is, as I'd mentioned at the beginning, it imbues the way that you see the world. You know, before I went to study, I very much considered myself my own separate entity from what was going on in the environment around me. After my study, uh, what I see happening in the world now, I see reflected in my body. And so when I look out the window and I see the leaves changing and the wind blowing and it getting chilly outside, what's happening to the tree where the leaves are changing is that the energy that has been so effusive through the summertime, such an easy time for photosynthesis and just an easy time to be alive, that energy is receding deep into the roots of the tree so that it can withstand through Mm. a cold winter. And we do the same thing in the human body. Even though we don't honor that, and that's a really challenging thing for me to see now that I do have this understanding. And so, likewise, when I'm looking at the types of foods to choose, you know, to feed our family for the week because honestly when I do these types of techniques and I do them all the time I make enough so that I don't have to do this every day and so we'll reheat in the toaster oven and on the stove and that sort of thing but like where I live it's getting chilly Winter's coming, and so, you know, I find that I'm using more turmeric, more ginger, uh, more warming spices, more cinnamon, um, the things that help to build my body up and my family's bodies up um, energetically so that we um, can better sustain the cold, chilly conditions around us. So, absolutely, energetically, uh, this, this definitely imbues, you know, the way that we prepare food here. Got it. So, Sarika, let's go back to the start. How did you first get into the field of traditional food preparation? Well, 
you know, I think I've always had quite an interest in it. My sister and I, when we um, were in high school, we'd come home from school and we'd turn on uh, the public broadcasting channel and uh, we would watch cooking shows all afternoon. Mm-hmm. And she ended up becoming a chef and um, has been in that field for 25 years. And, you know, I went into more natural medicine. But the food has always been such an important part of everything that I think about. You know, I became a vegetarian when I was... 13 and again it was for ethical reasons but even then I was tinkering tinkering around you know with diet and nutrition Um, and it wasn't until of course that I got into my master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine that I really you know dove more deeply into it but it's just always been a little bit of uh, uh, the downloads that come to me I can't help it to me it's such an incredibly creative part of the human experience and how we share It's an interesting thing in the United States um, after World War II. We had a big shift that happened around women's work, if you will, quote-unquote women's work. Mm -hmm. I do not mean that in a demeaning way at all, but I mean it is the housekeeping and the cooking and this sort of thing. And what marketers were doing at that time is they were appealing to making life easier for the modern American woman of the 1940s and 1950s. And so that's when we got into, you know, a lot of, um, you know, dishwashers and clothing washers and this sort of thing. And that's when we also got into a lot of prepared food, more prepared food. And after a fashion of doing this, these marketers, they check back in, you know, with these research subjects of women and what the women said is please take away the drudgery of ironing take away the clothes (laughs) folding all of that but i'm missing the creativity around the food and that is something that i it's a it's one of those things that i think is such a a primal expression of um the human capacity and it's something that definitely i feel Oh, absolutely. I agree. I think uh, food preparation is not just putting together different types of food and then cooking it. There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of, it's an art form for sure. And if you're really passionate about it, you know, the food is going to taste incredibly well. Of course, if you put all the insights and tips that you've shared today into action. So you've shared a lot with us today. If you had to tell one of our students to go out in life and take one action, just one, what would that one action be? It would be, I know this is going to sound strange, but it would be to allow more space between your meals so that you can digest well. I know you probably weren't expecting me to say that. <laughs> but in the United States, we've gotten into a very bad habit, and I've seen it cross over, and maybe it didn't start here, but something that I've, I just feel like societally, uh, the United States really is often at the forefront of trends. And uh, one of the very negative trends in terms of human health is how we're always kind of grazing and noshing. And Mm -hmm. it's very, very disruptive to our digestive function when we do this. We really do need to allow a number of hours between meals and and really get truly hungry before we eat again. And so that may not have been what you were thinking, I would say, but it's a huge impact on a person's well-being through their gut. And the gut is where the preponderance of neurotransmitters are created for our brain and of course that's going to carry how we feel emotionally and so that's very helpful advice right there (laughs) so action tribe to access the show notes for today's episode 
visit our website my7chakras.com forward slash 161. That's our website forward slash 161. The questions which one asks oneself begin at least to illuminate the world and become one's key to the experience of others. This is an amazing quote by James Baldwin. Action Tribe, the quality of your life tends to depend on the type of questions you pose to yourself. So especially if you're facing a challenge, if you're facing a difficult situation right now, spend some time to really understand the type of questions that you are asking yourself. Are you asking, why me? Or are you asking yourself, what is that one life lesson that I can learn from this situation? Who is that one person who might be able to advise me on the next steps? Or what is that one book that will help me and really avoid me getting into such a situation in the future because it is those powerful questions that will illuminate the world as the quote says and become your key to transforming your life experiences so sarika i'm sure that challenges are not new to you so take us back to a time when you experienced a major life challenge how did you come across it and then what did you really do to overcome the obstacle right i would say any time that I have felt like my children have been threatened in some way, which, thank goodness, I haven't run into that very often. But health-wise, you know, for me, that was a big, big shakeup to see my son struggling. And I think the thing that benefited me so much is that I did not feel that I was a victim to it. I felt very much that his body was giving me a sign that things were not quite right and I needed to respond to that in kind. And so not feeling threatened by what might be perceived as a threat, but instead using that information as a call for better information. Um, I think that one of another favorite quote from The Course in Miracles, uh, which is my go-to text is that everything is either a call for love, you know, through our fear or our sadness or our anger, or it is simply love itself. And so anytime that we are faced with um, a challenge of a situation, I think it's so important for us to look at that situation and see what the deeper meaning is behind it and how we can help to rectify that situation. So thanks a lot for sharing that. If you had to share just one major life lesson in one sentence with our listeners, what would it be? That would be, because God, AJ, don't you just feel like life is it's just such a series of lessons and you have to just surf them sometimes. You actually shared an amazing life lesson with us uh, is that life is you being the surfer and life is like a huge wave, an ocean wave. And sometimes people try to avoid the wave. People yep. try to avoid going into the ocean yeah, and getting their toes, uh, you know, wet or cold, especially if it's a cold ocean. But once you go into the ocean, once you, you know, start paddling, you'll feel a bit, uh, you know, challenged. But once you step on that paddleboard or that surfboard your life will shift and then you look for bigger waves so that's a, a really amazing insight you shared that seeing your son struggling health-wise was the biggest challenge which i'm sure that a lot of parents listening to the show right now would be able to relate and you realize at that point 
that just feeling threatened is not the solution. You need to look at the signs, uh, look at the nudges that the universe is trying to send you and collect those signs, do some more research, get the required information and then take corrective action. That's the way ahead because that sort of speaks to your growth mindset. And what is clear, so what you've shared with us is that you not only took those actions, but you've documented those actions in the form of your recipe books, in the form of your teachings and courses, so that other people can also make those transitional changes to benefit uh, their family's life. And what you've effectively told us is that everything is either a call for love, which might be anger or worry or fear, or everything could be love itself and everything is love itself. So our listeners uh, would surely get it by now (laughs) that whenever they're facing a major life challenge, Action Tribe, look at the deeper meaning behind what you are facing right now because I'm sure that your life is going to be dependent on the narrative and the story that you define for yourself. So thanks a lot, Sarika. Action Tribe, if you've been wanting to make a change in your life, if you feel that you're still within your comfort zone, if you feel like you're still on the beach, you've not jumped in the ocean, if you feel that you're still on the dry side of the pool, if you're not into beaches, just imagine what it would feel like after you make that jump, what it would feel like as the amazing waves are crashing into you and you feel that thrill. Today is the day for you to take action. Trust your instincts, develop a strong intuition. All of that is going to happen, but it's a work in progress. So make sure that you take action right away. Sometimes you might get lost. Sometimes you might get confused and you might second guess yourself, but it's all a part of your human revolution because as Alan Alda once said, you have to leave the city of your comfort and go into the wilderness of your intuition. What you'll discover is wonderful. What you'll discover is yourself. So Sarika, at this point in time, what is your life's calling? My life's calling is to always do it better, to always up that game. And sometimes just as you so eloquently pulled together there, AJ, sometimes when you're in the midst of surfing that wave, um, you wonder if if it's if it's worth the effort, I don't want people to think that you know. Gosh, you just step out into it, and it's always easy. And I and I don't think you were expressing that at all. But it's worth the effort. I mean, my gosh, it's it sounds cliche, but we do. We have one shot at this life, and we have got to get out here and live it like we mean it. And so, live your truth, speak your truth, and be that change you wish to see in the world. That is amazing. So if you had to relive the memories of your life once again, what is that one defining moment that really changed things for you? It was when I was sitting in that first class on traditional uh, Chinese medical theory. That was kind of otherworldly because as I sat there and I listened to the instructor, I truly felt like I was being given back a language that I had forgotten, but it was my true language. And I had never had anything like that happen to me before. And so for me, that was an incredibly pivotal moment. And in the years that followed with the different challenges around, um, you know, my my degree in traditional Chinese medicine and the licensure and, and other personal experiences around that, it was that pivot point moment that continued to keep me in the game. So that was a big one for me. 
Wonderful. And with that, time flies. And mm-hmm. we've come to the last round for today. It's a four-question round called the Wisdom Round. So let's start with this first question. Uh, Sarika, out of all the advice that you received, what's the best advice that someone's ever given you? I hope this doesn't sound offensive, but to not do things half-assed. <laughs> so just do your best. Always do your best. Absolutely. And I'm sure ass is the name of an animal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and who wants half a donkey? <laughs> so name a personal habit that keeps you going. Every morning I get up and I do yoga and I meditate and I read my spiritual text, which is The Course in Miracles. What is your morning routine like? That's about it. <laughs> Nothing else really happens until I make that happen. Um, And I have found that what has come in the wake of that commitment to myself is that um, something that at one time was very challenging for me, which was the meditation practice, has now become like my daily spa treatment to myself. I absolutely relish in it. And it has made it so that when I bump into challenges later in the day, as inevitably we do, Mm. I just am handling them so much more smoothly i'm not getting as fired up and i'm not going as low it's just it's amazing to me how my brain has rewired with that love it so the next question is something that so many people email me about but name a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today sure i love the course in miracles and that is one that um i think is appropriate to mention here and it's a book that quite honestly aj as i read it i learn something new every time so i'm actually almost completed with my third reading of it and as soon as i finish this third reading i will open it up again and start again because it's it's not the easiest read but at the same time it is such profound teaching So Action Tribe, once again, if you want to dive deeper, you want to access the show notes for today, and you want to ensure that you've not missed out on some of the nuggets shared, then you got to go to our website, my7chakras.com forward slash 161. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 161. So thanks a lot for joining us today, Sarika. It's been an amazing experience learning about the insights learning about the stories that you shared with us before you go i'm really curious what is one thing that you are grateful for today and also tell us how do we find you online oh thank you uh what i was really grateful for today was how my body keeps getting stronger and stronger and i'm almost 46 years old and i cannot believe that it just gets better and better so that, I really felt a, a spark of gratitude about that today. And if folks want to stay connected to me, um, my main blog is naturallylivingtoday.com. And um, that's a great place to connect with me. So there you go, Action Tribe. If you want to take that one extra step in terms of changing the way you look at nutrition and learning how to prepare traditional foods, then you need to go to naturallylivingtoday.com. We'll have the link up in the show notes because as we're learning today, sometimes just having organic food or gluten-free food or not having sodas, that's great, but that's not enough. You need to go deeper and change the way that you are preparing your food. It's all about tapping into that creativity, which will change the energy of your family as well. And also might end up being a lot of fun, maybe on the weekends when you're preparing those traditionally prepared food. So Sarika, thank you so much for joining uh, us on today's show, talking to us about using our food 
to heal our body and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Thank you, AJ. It's been absolutely my pleasure. You are listening to My 7 Chakras. Go to mysevenchakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today.